climate crisis isn't an issue that's going to affect people 20 years down the line. It's been affecting people for decades, particularly people in the global south. And it is still affecting people every single day and costing lives every single day. It's just Western countries find it easy to ignore it at the moment. But it isn't about our futures, it's about right now. And I think young people are really standing up for that and speaking about that. Welcome to the Common Ground podcast, where we bring together under our podcast roof change makers from both the social and environmental spaces, people who've made extraordinary achievements in the areas they're passionate about. Each episode, we bring you insight from a new activist as we talk to them about their stories and the causes that spurred them to take action. I'm thrilled to be bringing you season two in collaboration with Arctic Angels, a global youth led network fighting for the protection of the global commons and in particular raising awareness of the polar ice crisis. I'm thrilled to be joined this week by the Arctic Angel Beth Doherty from Dublin. Beth's a fantastic climate activist who has worked as an organiser with Fridays for the Future. She helped organise that first major global strike on March the 15th 2019 and since then she's been working as an organiser with Fridays for Future and she's been a youth delegate to the RTE Youth Assembly on Climate in the Irish Parliament where she wrote one of the final 10 proposals which were presented to the Irish Government and the President of the UN General Assembly. She's also been hugely active in policy and education surrounding climate action which is something that we talk about in the episode. In 2020, she was elected as the National Sustainability Representative for Young People in Ireland, where she's working on furthering youth voice around all areas, including sustainability and engaging students with decision makers on the issues that matter the most to them. So I really, really hope that you enjoy our episode together. Beth, welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Hi, really happy to be here. So let's start at the beginning. You're only 17. Uh, but you've achieved so much already and I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and the journey you've been on so far. Yeah and thank you so much so yeah like you said I'm 17 I'm from Ireland I first got involved in March 2019 which is over two years ago now which is crazy and I started off kind of organizing protests in my city with other people organizing with Fridays for Future then Summer 2019, I went to the Friday's Future European Summit in Izan, which was an incredible experience to learn from other people. Then following that, I got involved in kind of legislative action. I wrote one of the final 10 proposals, which went to the president of the UN General Assembly at the time as a result of the Youth Assembly in our national parliament. Um, I've also been working like in my community and things like that. And um, this year I helped work on the Supreme Court case and um, the third of its kind in the world that kind of brought the Irish government to um, trial basically about climate law and about climate legislation. And right now I'm really focusing on education, on working with students um, around sustainability, around climate action and trying to keep going through the pandemic as we all are. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, there's so many things I'm really excited to unpack there, but let's start at the start and these wonderful climate strikes that you helped organise. You've, you've been the organiser and the head organiser, and I read that you addressed you know, crowds of over 11,000 at the strike in Dublin in 2019. So what was that like to organise and be a part of? And how, I mean, how do you do it? How do you organise strikes so big? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I suppose the biggest thing is the support network because we're all very much an equal playing field when we're organizing strikes. So it really is that team effort and all of us working in a decentralized way and working in kind of a non-hierarchical way to make decisions as a group, which is really interesting to see and a really good dynamic, I think. 
Um, so obviously it's a massive learning curve. So March 15th was actually my first ever protest when I was 15. And you really are thrown into the deep end, but I suppose it's trying to figure out, okay, how do we get people to care? How do we get young people out into the streets? How do we mobilize them? And how do we make sure that that has a very visible impact and that that creates pressure for the action we need are kind of the biggest questions we look at. And so what is it like to stand in front of, you know, 11,000 people? Because I, I know that you you kind of use that opportunity as a platform to, was it that you kind of leveled cr- criticism at one of your, was it your MP or a, a government official for kind of just using the opportunity as a, as a photo, as a photo opportunity? Yeah, God, I remember that. Yeah, that was, like I said, it was my first protest and um, our Minister for the Environment at the time was at the protest taking pictures um, but wasn't actually engaging with the strikers and his climate policy was extremely lacking. So we kind of, you know, we got fed up and we did want to point it out and call it out. So that was what that was about, I suppose. You know, rightly so, because, uh, you know, I I recently just watched the the Greta Thunberg documentary and, uh, you know, she was speaking at an event and she did an incredible speech and then it, the, what she had said had been completely ignored. And I think it's really important that we call out those moments where, you know, if you've got 11,000 young people on the streets telling you that something is clearly important and they're just standing on the sidelines and using it as an opportunity for whatever reason, you know, we really have to call that out. Exactly. And I think, you know, those in power really love to pat kind of the like climate strikers and climate activists on the head and say, aren't you great for taking action? You're so inspiring. Can't wait until you're in charge and things like that, because I think it's a lot more palatable and it's a way of kind of pushing off responsibility, particularly in Ireland and in other EU countries and kind of Western countries as a whole. They love to kind of do these kind of public displays of like, oh, I support the strikes, but then not take meaningful action when the responsibility is on them as the Western countries causing the crisis. Absolutely, they've got to follow up with meaningful action, otherwise it's completely pointless. Exactly. So your work focuses a lot on affecting change at a government level, which I think is really interesting. You're a member of the European Youth Parliament Ireland. You were a delegate to the RTE Youth Assembly on Climate in the Irish Parliament in 2019. And you obviously do a lot of work to engage with decision makers at a top level. Why is this advocacy so important to the climate movement and the protection of our planet? Yeah, like there are a lot of different strategies. And I think one thing really important and really inspiring the climate movement is the amount of different approaches. But I suppose the one that I've kind of been leaning towards is that kind of government policy action as well as at a community level, because pushing for that change and pushing because right now, they're the ones making the decisions. And as much as I would like for all of us to be the ones making the decision and for that to change, it is targeting that action and letting them know you, we're not going away, we're here, we're pushing for action and there's nothing you can do about it. So start taking change and making sure that they're listening, um, if you get me. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, have you found sort of over the course of your journey that governments are listening more and taking on board what you're saying more as we move deeper into the crisis? How has that changed over the years or has it or has it not changed? I think definitely in 2019, I think towards the end of 2019 with September 20th, which was the biggest climate mobilization in history, I think there was a massive swell of public awareness and a public pressure. And I think in turn, I don't know if individuals, politicians started caring about the climate crisis, um, but I feel like it was harder for them to ignore it because of the amount of public pressure. And I think that really shows, you know, change doesn't come from politicians. It doesn't come from decision makers. It comes from the people that they're elected to represent. And it comes from us coming together. So I think there was definitely a, a push of the people causing kind of a turn towards action but then obviously COVID hit um, which I think COVID has been described as an acute crisis whereas climate is more of a long-term crisis and I think that's kind of apt because the inequalities we're seeing at the moment 
are the same inequalities we're going to see with climate. So I think climate crisis has been slightly sidetracked and um, definitely an Irish policy at the moment, but we're still trying to push for that and try to keep it, keep it relevant, keep it being discussed as well as the wider framework of inequality. But yeah, the change was really coming from the people causing that pressure on our decision makers, I think. Yeah, and we've got to keep going. But as you say, with the pandemic, it must have been difficult for you to keep organised and, and keep doing things. So what kind of things have you been doing over the past year or so to keep that pressure up? It's been difficult. It's been a massive shift of focus. So at the start, we kind of we were like, OK, digital strikes will we'll take pictures with our signs. And we realised, OK, that isn't getting too much traction. It is very much staying inside the social media echo chamber. So how can we kind of bring this larger? So we have a few things in the works for when restrictions are kind of lifted to do socially distant measures. We've done a few socially distant like actions over the summer, but most of it now has kind of turned to uh, with some groups directly contacting and lobbying decision makers online and um, in Fridays we're doing a lot of outreach groups so we're doing online zoom calls to like get young people involved and train them up so that when if this when this pandemic ends hopefully um, <laughs> you know we have a whole new group of organizers that are really fired up so it's really kind of looking at like outreach strengthening rebuilding looking at our strategy and being ready for when we can get back into it if you get me I completely see that and I guess it's about firing up as you say that those next people so that you know, as soon as things can we ease back into I don't want to say business as usual, but what it was like before COVID, that you'll be ready to go and, and affect change, which is, it must be really exciting for you. It is. And I think the world we're going to step into post-COVID is going to be unrecognisable to pre-COVID. And I think this has just highlighted the inequalities that we have at the moment. I think this has really just shown how a crisis can completely throw the entire world off kilter and throw our entire, oh, well, this is just how the world works into question. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how activism adapts to that post-COVID. You've mentioned Fridays for Future. You co-founded School Strikes for Climate and now you're part of the Arctic Angels Network. What is it about networks that are so important, do you think? I think the biggest thing with networks is those kind of connections and in terms of a learning. So using, you know, you're talking to people, you're learning from them and using them as opportunities to grow and kind of learn from other people's experiences and being able to share resources and also alongside that share support and support each other through when there's a difficulty. The support network in Fridays Future Ireland has gotten me through so many things. I think it's gotten a lot of people through the difficulties and the hardship because it's other people who are care, who are inspired and who know that this is a very serious issue that we need to be taking action on. And I think those networks, they allow you to learn so much and they allow you to get that strength and that people power when you're pushing for change. And I guess that's so important because Otherwise, I can't imagine what it would feel like to feel that you're pushing for these things alone. Yeah, exactly. I think with climate in particular, it's such an overwhelming issue. And that's why we see so much anxiety, particularly amongst teenagers and kind of young people, because people are so stressed and they feel like I'm just one person. What can I do? But it's when you come together, you get that feeling of hope from working with other determined young people. Absolutely. There must be a sort of energy to your meetings as well. Definitely. I think there is. And it's, it's wonderful to see that, especially pre-COVID when we were in a room together, that kind of energy and that feeling of hope and also that anger and also that sadness that comes with this, but ultimately that feeling of hope and determination. Yeah, I wonder if that's what differentiate the youth in particular, because it is that really interesting balance of anger and a feeling of injustice, but combined with a sort of sheer determination to get things done. Exactly. And I think it's really that feeling of this is an acute crisis. We know that this is happening right now. And, you know, I think we hear a lot of rhetoric, particularly, I think, from politicians about like, oh, this is their future. This is children's futures. That's why they're angry. And that's why they're scared. But 
it's not just that because the climate crisis isn't an issue that's going to affect people 20 years down the line it's been affecting people for decades particularly people in the global south and it is still affecting people every single day and costing lives every single day it's just western countries find it easy to ignore it at the moment but it isn't about our futures it's about right now and i think young people are really standing up for that and speaking about that and raising attention to that issue to make sure change happens not just 30 years down the line when we're in power it's really interesting because i I feel like there's been a, and I, I don't know if you kind of feel the same way, but there's been a sort of shift in understanding. I mean, and it, it ties into a question really about education that I want to get to later. But when I was younger and growing up and I was learning about global warming, as it was called back then, it was very much centered around, okay, what are the impacts for me? And I feel like there's been a shift, especially driven by young people to raising awareness of the fact that this isn't, this isn't about people in the global north in the sense that yes we we do the actions that hurt people the most but actually the reason that we need to be taking action isn't you know just for ourselves but it's the people in countries who are the poorest and who are are going to feel the effects of the climate crisis the most and and are feeling the effects of the climate crisis the most Exactly. And I think a lot of Western kind of education attitudes toward the climate crisis is, oh, it's happening somewhere else. I think it's the same as Western attitudes towards a lot of things. And I think if you're like, if you really want to get into it, it goes back to the fact that a lot of Western powers were colonialists and that the climate crisis is a result of the kind of exploitation that came from that history. And that is still hurting the countries that were exploited by and continue to be exploited by the global north and Western countries. And I think that's why we're able to ignore it and push it down the line. Um, we can't continue to do that because we're the ones causing the crisis. It is Global North causing the crisis and the Global South suffering as a result. Let's dive into education because I know that you mentioned earlier that this is something that your your mind has focused or kind of shifted to now. And you have a, a role working in this advisory group for a climate action course in the Irish curriculum. Tell us a little bit more about this. How did you get involved? What kind of things are you talking about? And, and what's, the, what's the plan for bringing climate action into the curriculum in Ireland? Yeah, so to start off, I think education is essential. But when we're talking about education on climate, it needs to be skills based and really focused at creating change. Because I think the issue in Ireland, I, I don't know if it'd be similar in the UK or other countries, it's very focused on very abstract scientific knowledge, which obviously you need, you need to have that grounding and knowing what the science is, but you also need to look at the social implications and the political implications and the fact that the climate crisis is rooted in so much inequality. And alongside that, you need to teach people how to organize collectively to create change rather than just focusing on this whole idea of individual accountability in education, which is the reduce, reuse, recycle, that kind of rhetoric in education, which doesn't give people the skills they need to create change. So um, last May, I, we have an Irish second level students union here in Ireland. So it's a union for second level students and that advocates directly to the government on behalf of them and is elected every year. So I'm our sustainability officer at the moment. Um, so I've really been focusing on Ireland's new strategy for the next 10 years around education for sustainable development. So really looking at, OK, how can we get skills based education that teaches children how to create change, that teaches young people? This is how you organize together. This is how you directly tackle the issues and global citizenship education that looks at this idea of intersectionality, of justice, of the fact that the climate crisis is an intersectional issue, it links into absolutely everything, and it is the result of injustice and exploitation, and really making sure that that's addressed within the Irish curriculum, but also further afield. Wow, that is so exciting. I would have loved to have experienced that as a, as a course in, uh, in my education. 
is there a plan to sort of deliver this, roll it out nationwide? Is this going to be a compulsory course? How is it going to work? Um, so it's still in the works at the moment. So this is like our strategy now for 2021 to 2031. So it'll kind of be much broader. But then I'm also working with a group of teachers and students on a climate action short course. So in Ireland, for the first three years of secondary school, you do what I think is the equivalent of the UK GCSEs, I'd say. Okay. Um, it's called the Junior Cert. So um, as part of the Junior Cert, you have your core subjects, but you can also do six to eight week short courses um, that are taught in your school and you get like a little certificate at the end of them. So one of these is going to be a climate action short course that is specifically focused on justice and organising in your community. And it's a really interesting course that we're developing at the moment. And I really hope it gets off the ground and we'll start being talks. There are a few schools interested at the moment. There's a few partner organisations. So looking very exciting wow I'm really excited I think that's um something that all countries should be inspired by especially those in the global north but it's just making me think what should we be doing in the UK uh, in in England sorry to to bring something like that to the table so I'm really excited Beth to to see where that goes thank you you touched a little bit there about global citizenship and I just wanted to take us back to the Arctic for the second because People might wonder why it is that people like you and I, who don't live near the Arctic, have such a vested interest in its protection. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I think it's really important because I do think, you know, you think of the Arctic, the Antarctic, it's not exactly, you know, that near to you um, if you don't, if you live outside of the Arctic Circle. And I think it is something quite distant in people's minds. And, you know, it's the polar bears, it's the kilometres of ice, it's all that. Um, and I think we need to bring it back to the level of, as like the Arctic Angels describe it, it's the global commons. And what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic, it affects all of us. So it's the same way in Ireland, say we have the Gulf Stream that regulates our weather. The Arctic regulates the weather of the entire planet. It is essential to maintaining the well-being of the planet and of all of us and protecting us from climate change. And I think we really need to take it from that kind of abstract level of something very, very, very far away to something that affects the entire global community. It's so interesting because when you kind of break it down and as you say, you know, what's happening there will affect all of us. And so how do we get people to care about this issue? How do we get the polar ice crisis to the top of the political agenda? Yeah, I think, question. I think Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, I think it is really, if you want, like going back a to education, not just in school and in classroom, but non-formal education through you know, different groups, different societies, different kind of activities aimed at community education and peer-to-peer learning um, and really just emphasizing it. So in the same way, just gathering public pressure and highlighting this as an issue, the same way we've done with climate strikes and just having that as a focus. Um, it's a very tricky question, but I think really making sure people are aware of it and giving people the tools to then take action on it with their decision makers and within their communities. Just to round off then, I wondered if you could take us through a personal highlight of your journey so far and maybe you know without giving too much away tell us something that you're excited for in the in the year to come a personal highlight um oh, that, that's a tricky one to choose I think um, can, I, can, I, can I give two you can give two <laughs> <laughs> so basically I, I was at one of our climate strikes and this like little girl she was about eight and um, came up to me and my friends who were organizing the strike and said that she was just like really inspired by it and she really cared about the planet and her mum was basically saying like she's really really interesting this was the first time she kind of got involved and obviously that was adorable but then at the next strike she came up and she had started um a climate group in her own school yeah. and they had been like organizing strikes in her school and like cleaning up the community and things and like obviously that was so small 
but it was just kind of seeing that little girl kind of being inspired by like the strikes and by the climate movement and seeing the power that a movement of people can really have on like one individual and one community and seeing how that goes um and that was just very adorable <laughs> i suppose the second one is probably when we went to the supreme court last summer and then getting the judgment um i was sitting in a park in town in dublin when we got the judgment through that said that we had actually won the case and just would never forget that that feeling of okay all of Ireland's climate law now has to be overthrown. This is an incredible step in terms of common law, in terms of precedent in our country, and hopefully in terms of kind of global climate law and EU law and things like that. So it was just phenomenal to get that judgment. Um, and in terms of what I'm most excited for going forward, I think it depends on where we're going. I think definitely looking at how we can continue to create change and how post-COVID we can really adapt our strategy to make sure that now we deliver in the next 10 years and that we get that public pressure, that we empower people, that we empower communities and that we're really empowering people to take action directly and knowing the power that they have as people and the power that they have in their voices everywhere. I'm so sorry, we haven't even touched upon this, the Supreme Court case. Why don't you take us through what that case covered? You've talked a little bit about the, about the outcomes, but you know, what was it that you set out to achieve and, and, and what was that process like? Yeah, so the case actually started in 2017 and I only got involved in um, 2020, 20, kind of late 2019, but it started off in our high court and it was basically saying, okay, Irish climate law, which was shocking, we have shocking climate law here in Ireland, um, is unconstitutional, it violates our human rights, it violates our obligations, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not right, it's not fair. So it was brought to the high court, they actually lost in the high court, so they went to appeal it, um, and they were able to leapfrog directly to the Supreme Court. So this was only the third case of its kind to reach the Supreme Court in its country. The first was in the Netherlands, and I think the second one was in the US, I think. Um, so it went to the Supreme Court, the hearing was in June during COVID, so I remember sitting in the courtroom with all our masks and there was only eight people out on each side, it was all very, it was all very odd. And wow. um, we heard the case and it went over two days. Um, and yeah, I was really looking at, there was a few arguments around whether or not this was something the Supreme Court could actually look at in the first place, there was argument around could they bring it, um, and they weren't going to be able to bring it to the European Court of Human Rights if they lost, so it was really, or the European Court of Justice, so it was really focusing in on like making sure we got this through and I was really looking at okay it's not our policy isn't in line with science it's not in line with the constitution it's not in line with human rights um, and eventually the ruling came and um, some of the things around human rights weren't followed through but ultimately the ruling said yeah and um, the entire policy needs to be overthrown it's not in line with the 2015 act and a bunch of different laws there but essentially our climate law had to change completely wow so so just to clarify you had a set of climate laws in ireland and the yeah. idea was to say hang on these climate laws don't align with current policy or targets or things that the government have set in order to address the climate crisis is that right yeah essentially so first there are constitution and that it was against that but secondly then and um, we had a 2015 act and then there was a 2019 plan and that basically they didn't match up and it didn't match the government obligations so it was all just completely changed fantastic and, and you know this just shows that again it goes back to that point of holding people to account and making sure that the words are followed through with concrete action and I, I guess that's going to set Ireland on a path for putting in some some really exciting policies are you feeling excited about it or are you still a little bit apprehensive I am um, we have a new climate bill now being drafted it's still in massive need of improvement um, and we're working on improving at the moment but it's a huge step forward from what we had initially and I think there's a really interesting questions around kind of the role of the courts and the fact that citizens can directly take their governments to court to question what they're doing and to 
highlight the fact that they're not living up to their obligations. And I think it's really important that people, again, know about that power that they have as people to hold their decision makers to account and also that responsibility they have, particularly if you're living in a Western country that's contributing to the climate crisis as much as Ireland or most countries in the EU are. Just as a final question to you, what one piece of advice would you want to give an activist just starting out on their journey? Um, in terms of you just starting out, I think the first thing to know is that you don't have to be perfect. Um, I think we have this idea that to be an activist, you need to be perfectly, you know, eco all the time. And you'll know this yourself, like that isn't possible under our current structures, like obviously make that attempt, but don't feel like you have to be perfect. It is a learning experience. And from that, be willing to learn um, from other people, be willing to throw yourself into the deep end to challenge yourself and kind of keep that hope and keep that hope from other people, learn from other people, have conversations with other people and maintain that drive and that hope. And it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad, but just keep pushing for change. Wow, Beth, thank you so much for your time. Amazing, thank you so much for having me. I've actually really enjoyed it. This is fantastic. I really hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And I think that Beth finished up there with some really important words of wisdom. And I think the idea about learning and continuing to learn is especially true in the in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, in anti-racism. There's a lot of learning and unlearning that we need to do and I think it's just a case of going for it and not being afraid. So if you want to get in contact with Beth or want to follow her work, she can be found on Instagram at Beth Doherty C. And please do follow Fridays for Future and Fridays for Future Ireland to hear all about their work. As ever, I'm at Common Ground Co on Instagram. And you can follow the work of Arctic Angels at GC Arctic Angels. See you next time.